0: I feel like so often we cling to what we know because mm-hmm. it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we keep trying to breathe life into what is dead. Yes. And I think when it comes to people working through that major transition, we can often paralyze ourselves because we start jumping ahead and we think like, I don't know what life is going to look like in 6 years and yeah. how will I afford to send two kids to college at the same time and where are we going to live in 6 months? So to really break it down to like, honestly, you're just
1: trying to figure out what is your next best step. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, We hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too, this podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that... Let's dive in.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Living Center podcast. Excited for you to hear this conversation today with my friend and on-site alum, Brandy Wilson. Brandy is just an amazing human who has walked through a lot of transition in the last few years. She's got a new book out called Better Than Okay, and I love that title because I think For so many of us that have walked through tough seasons, we just want to know that we'll be okay and we can make it to the other side. And like Brandy says, I think there's even more beyond it. So we can all find the hope and the courage to keep walking and know that we won't just be okay, we might even be better than okay.
1: You're so right, Lindsay. And I loved this conversation with Brandy, but I particularly loved getting to witness the deep connection between the two of you. It was really beautiful. And Honestly, I feel like transition is one of those topics that hits absolutely every one of us. Like, who hasn't had to start again? Who hasn't, um, as the author Bruce Feller often calls them, had a lifequake that catapults us into a season of transition? So during this interview, I felt like Brandy was equal parts practical and inspirational. Through her story, she really walked us through the practical ways that she started again and helped us re-examine and recreate and be kind to ourselves in the process. I think this is one for all of us. When I first met
2: you and connected with you, your Instagram handle at the time was like Brandy and Boys. Yes. And I remember you had like yes. this picture. You were, I went to Crosspoint mm-hmm. and you were the pastor's wife, yes. and super involved in the leadership of the church. But you just had the cutest, like, uh, profile picture. You were wearing, like, this little hat. Yes. I, like, can picture it still. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be her friend. Like, you just <laughs> were so seemingly, like, full of life and yeah. like, the way that you loved and cared for your boys especially. Yeah just, like, really spoke to me, even before I got to know you, you know? I just was, like, you just seemed—you, like, broke the mold for me Mm. of what, like, a pastor's wife was. Because you, like, had some edge to you (laughs) and the little hat, you know? And, like, you just um, were, like, super approachable and warm and, like, in your life and very comfortable putting that out there um, at the time. So— Just think about all the transitions that we've walked through. And it's just been such an honor to like be both an observer and a friend and see how much you've like grown Mm -hmm. and really expanded yourself during really hard times. And I think that like there's a term that I've heard it on site called like post-traumatic growth.
1: Yeah, and
2: I think that like when I think about that term, I think about you and all the growth that has followed seasons of really hard.
0: There's been a lot of growth. I post traumatic is such a great <laughs> describer of what it feels like. I went through a divorce in 20. It was finalized in 2017. But yes, our past crossed at cross point. I was there serving for 14 years. We My ex-husband and I planted that church, started it here in the Nashville community. We met in college. So Mm -hmm. I married my college sweetheart and um, knew that he felt that ministry was where he wanted to spend his life calling and fully supported that myself and was super involved. We started a church in Kentucky, and we were there for five years, moved here in 2001, had our first son, and then started a church here in 2002. And we served at Crosspoint for 14 years and I loved it. Yeah. It's really, it warms my heart hearing you describe me because that's how I chose to, that's what mm. I wanted in regards to living a life where I was approachable and I was someone that maybe didn't fit the mold because I was like everyone else. I didn't ever want to be someone that was like singled out or set apart because I was pastor's wife. And so, yeah, in 2016, pretty quickly my life publicly fell apart. It imploded Mm -hmm. and everything I knew to be true about my life ended in about a 24-hour period. And I, I am not naive enough to act like I didn't see it coming yeah. because mm. when your life publicly falls apart, it's fallen apart behind the scenes for a while. Yeah. Um, however, I didn't expect it to implode to the level it did right. and also to implode as quickly as it did. Yeah. Mm. So I kind of found myself in September of, you know, twenty let's see, 2016, separated from my husband and... And trying to work toward reconciling my marriage, however, it takes two people who want mm-hmm. right. to see a marriage restored and reconciled, and willing to do um, the work, and willing to do the work. And I was the only one willing to do the work. So, in October of that year, filed for divorce, and divorce was finalized in March of twenty seventeen, and I legitimately started over mm. at age forty two. And I That's will say, really fast from September of twenty sixteen. Yes. To
2: March of 2017.
0: It, very I will fast. tell you, I talked to a lot of people going through divorce and it is, was pretty quick. Yeah. The state of Tennessee, it's six months if you have kids. And we were at that, mm. uh, I think it took us nine months, mm-hmm. um, seven months for it to be finalized. And I think, you know, when you have something else you're moving on to, you will do what you can to get out of a marriage quickly. Mm. Yeah. So he was willing to move on pretty quickly. And that actually made it a little easier on me.
2: Mm.
0: So, it's yeah,
2: crazy I'm, how quickly, like thinking about it now, you can dismantle something that's taken
0: so long to build. With a few signatures. Yeah. You sign yeah. a few signatures and everything's divided. You're, you know, the dishes you got when you were getting married right. and the Christmas decorations mm. and the really the details of a life you worked hard to build are all dismantled with a few signatures. Yeah. It's crazy. Thank
2: you for sharing all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. I mean... A lot of life you yes. just shared really quickly. <laughs> we talk a little bit about sort of the season pre-divorce, and you mentioned like that privately. Now looking back, you could see that mm-hmm. how the, there were signs leading up to it. Or, but I'm curious not about details, but just about like feelings and because mm-hmm. you know in retrospect we see it all a little bit more clearly for sure what advice would you give now to someone who is sort of in a season pre maybe big Mm -hmm. transition, Mm -hmm. but like trying to
0: manage the struggle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of a hard question to answer because what I will tell you is that in the midst of it, I felt like I was doing everything I could do. I knew there had always been a lack of emotional connection I knew that that I was aware in the course of the marriage that there had been two times that trust had been broken, that we had met with a therapist to try mm-hmm. to work on repairing that and had reconciled. I think so much was hidden and kept from me. I didn't realize the depth of the betrayal that had yeah. happened over the course of 20 years. And I think one of the things, Lindsay, that made it hard for me is—and you can probably like affirm this—is— Everyone in my life loved him.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Everyone, you know, he was super successful. The church was one of the fastest growing churches in the country. The church was growing exponentially. He traveled and spoke and had book deals. And everywhere I went, people would tell me, I love him. He saved our marriage. He gave me the courage to quit my job. He Mm -hmm. has you know, shown me scripture like I've never understood it before. So I think one of the things that made it really difficult is in being told— everywhere I went, how awesome he was, then I just had to assume that I was the problem. Yeah. So I did a lot of individual counseling and and to deal with things like, you know, we all have stuff from family of origin and yeah. we all have things that happen as we're growing up that we need to deal with. And I would do all of that work individually Yeah. and feel like I was getting healthier and show up and... It's not changing anything in that relationship. So I think for me it was really difficult and it had to get really bad for me to almost recognize that I wasn't the problem. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm being told I was the problem in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. I was insecure. Or I wasn't, you know, a good leader. I wasn't naturally gifted at that. I didn't have great time. Like I'm being told these things. So I think the the reality of what is really going on here was really foggy for me to be able mm. to find the truth in the midst of that. I did have a couple of moments. I knew I was not loved the way I loved yeah. him. So I knew that that wasn't reciprocal. And I had a couple of really clear moments where I remember thinking, am I going to regret that I stayed in this marriage when I'm mm. 80? Mm. Yeah. But then I think I believed, man, you just okay. stick it out. And this is a busy season and career is crazy. And yeah. at some point, he'll have time for me. But, you know, life was busy and I had three kids in five years and raising a family and growing a church. And there wasn't a lot of as much time was not given for reflection as should have been given.
1: Hey, friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an on-site alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended OnSite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you, but what if there's more? If you've been considering an OnSite program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you.
2: I was remembering not only sort of living through some of your transition, when you were talking, but also, like, the disillusionment of relationship that I had that was, like, similar where it was, like, somebody that was in a very, like, high-profile mm-hmm. position. Yes. And I remember when you were talking, it was, like, came flooding back to me like mm. a, a river, you know, like, that I, the the feeling of having to protect the image of somebody else mm-hmm. for everybody else. Yeah, yeah was like the worst part of it all. Oh. Because it was like you could see people's like adoration mm-hmm. and and the way that their cuz mine was also kind of ministry related, their the way that their belief in that person was tied up to their belief right. in God. Yes. And it was like, "Oh, I can't ruin. I can't tell people the truth right. because mm. it's going sh- it to shatter too much." Yeah. Yes. Yeah, And I just hadn't mm-hmm. thought about you carrying that weight in that mm-hmm. way for a really long time. And that's really heavy.
0: Yeah, it is very heavy. It's a very heavy
1: weight to carry and deal with my own disappointment yeah. in yeah. the situation. What I was hearing while you were talking was just this like doubt, I'm assuming, like in your head, and just this continued chorus of like, well, maybe I'm the problem or I'll do this. And yes. how did you learn to? to tune into your intuition and what you knew was true and start to trust yourself in this process? Yeah. What did that look like? Such a great question. That did
0: not happen until we actually separated Mm -hmm. because I had to have some space. Yeah. And I'm a two on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So I'm really good at loving and supporting people. And I can kind of read a room well. And I don't know what's going on internally with me. So for me, the first step in that was to start writing and journaling. I'm a deep feeler. And I think I had set my emotions aside for so long that any emotion that came felt confusing to me mm. because there were so many of them happening. Yeah. So I wrote a ton. I had to have—I was in regular therapy and loved my therapist. But in between my hour, hour and a half sessions every week, I had to continue to process to start digging in and getting to know myself. Mm. And one of the things that happened that kind of kickstarted that is— we were in a joint counseling session that went terrible, terrible. Not that any of them went good, <laughs> or I might not be here, but it went terrible. And I remember getting in my car, we'd driven separately, and putting my head on the steering wheel. And I just wept because so many things were said about me that weren't true. Yeah, And I remember thinking, I'm not even known. He does not know who I am. Nothing he said about me is
1: I really am. And I went
0: home and I I opened just a notebook. I've been taking notes in for counseling. And at the top, I wrote what I know to be true about me. Mm -hmm. And I started writing a list of things I knew to be true about Brandy. And I almost had to pull out and reflect because, you know, I could tell you all the great things about, you know, the people in my life, my kids, my friends. I know what they want from Sonic. I know all of those like fun details and the serious details. But I ignored myself for so long that I had lost the truth about who I was. Yeah. So making that list of what is true about me just brought a lot of affirmation. It made me start digging in and getting to know myself again. I had to identify mm. as something more than so-and-so's wife. Mm. So-and-so's um, mother. Or so-and-so's, so-and-so's mother. Pastor, yeah. Exactly. So I had to you know redefine who I was and find that identity in a way that brought true value to my life, rather than it being attached to a successful church or a successful at the yeah. time husband. Mm.
1: Earlier in this series, Carlos talked about forming a friendship and how many hours it takes to be in relationship with someone to like form a deep bond. And then he kind of flipped it on us and told us to think about like, of course you don't know. Like it's going to take time to get to know yourself too. And so I think that was what I thought of. And just that the hours that it takes to when you've been for so long defining yourself in other roles, or Mm -hmm. I think there's so many times in life we do that to come back and say, okay, like how do I cultivate that relationship with me? Yes, yes. so good. Which
0: also helped in the loneliness because when you walk through a divorce, I think whether you're married or single, a lot of people battle loneliness. Loneliness is just a problem. Totally. Um, For sure it's an epidemic. But for me, in order to deal with that, one of the things I had to do is just get to know myself. So I enjoyed I'm actually an introvert, um, Mm. but highly relational. So Mm. I had to be able to measure, like, when do I need people? Mm -hmm. And when do I just need to take some time and be by myself? And I had more alone time than I'd ever had. And Mm -hmm. I'm in a 70-30 split, so I still have my kids the majority of the time. But every other weekend is more time than I'd had in years. So at first, I would fill all of that time Mm -hmm. with yoga Mm -hmm. or movies or meeting friends or— and I realized that in order for me to heal, I had to get to know myself again, and to realize that I actually enjoy being with myself. As crazy as it sounds, I enjoy my own yeah. company.
1: Yeah, um, and that's not a bad thing. Hey, you're you're great, great great <laughs> 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 it's
2: true. That's awesome. What were other sort of like benchmarks or breakthroughs mm. of sort of the middle period of like just fighting through the transition? Yeah, itself.
0: You know, I am an on site alum and I did the Living Center program. I think it's a, five years ago, six years ago, this coming January. Mm-hmm. Um, my very first week at
2: onsite yes, on staff. Wow. Yes, yes, it was. You and a couple of other friends were in that program group and it was like,
0: oh, I'm here while well, they're here. So so it's familiar fun. faces. Yeah. I actually had this moment in my own therapy time with my group where. The clarity of the fact that I was carrying someone else's shame mm. because they were too weak to deal with it mm. was eye-opening for me. And and it happened in this really, you know, reflective way where there was a person who I was working with who was representing my ex at the time. and And just the way that my therapist unfolded it, I think I had never realized— I thought all of that was my own shame. And for the clarity to be the realization and clarity of like, no, the shame you're carrying has nothing to do with you. Not your It originated somewhere else and has been put on you because this person's too weak to deal with it. Mm. That was huge for me and allowed me to release and take off a weight that I didn't even realize was possible to remove. Yeah, that's great.
2: Other... Mm moments of clarity or yeah. sort of like, I'm, I'm making it through this?
0: Yeah. I think in regards to parenting my kids, there was something about us starting over in a new house mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. huge for us. I didn't want to keep the family house. One of my kids had, I was tucking him in one night and he was crying. I'm like, tell me what's going on. And and he said, I go to school, and everything's fine, and everyone's happy. And then I come home, and things are still not mm. the same here. Yeah. So I chose to sell our house, and, and I kept the kids mm. in the school system. But we started over in a new neighborhood. Yeah. And I remember my contractor telling me, because we had to do a lot of work, the house is as old as I am. So it needed a lot of um, just care and love. And it wasn't finished when we moved into it. So he was like, you're going to have people in and out every day. They're going to be painting. They're going to be like, it's going to be miserable. And I'm like, oh, we'll be fine. Mm. He's like, no, I don't think you understand. It's going to be terrible. They're going to be sanding. There are going to be people you don't know. Like, I'm like, oh, no, we'll be okay." But Brandy, it could. I said, this is not hard for me. What I've done (laughs) the last 18 months is as hard. (laughs) This is easy. And he was like oh, yeah, you're exactly right. You're going to be fine. So I think that realization of like, I've done a lot of really hard things yeah. mm-hmm. and made it to this point. Yeah. We can do this. Yeah. Was huge. Um, and just felt like such a fresh start there. I wasn't haunted in the new house. I didn't have memories there. Mm. Um, now, I had to work hard initially to create memories to help it feel like home to the kids. Yeah. But it was just such a fresh start for us that I felt super empowered of like, oh, yeah, we're going to be better than okay. Yeah. Better than okay. Better than okay.
1: <laughs> that phrase, better than okay, is an incredible mantra for all of us as we face the unknown, but it's also the title of Brandy's new book. And while reading her book, I was struck by this practical concept and an exercise that Brandy shared about creating new memories for herself and her children. I asked her to share how she was able to reclaim agency, perspective, control, and even find joy through transition by creating the space and time to create new memories in familiar places. This is what she shared. That's one of my favorite concepts, and a
0: girlfriend introduced it to me because what she realized is I was avoiding a lot of stuff Mm. based on past memories. Mm. And she was like, you need to reclaim some good memories in that same place. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about it that way. And the first time it probably happened was unplanned. And for some reason, my first two sons, both, when they turned 18, wanted to get a tattoo. In Tennessee, you have to be 18 to get a tattoo. And they had both planned that. My oldest son um, kind of started the trend. He's 22 now, so four years ago. And before I visited the tattoo studio with him, my last interaction with tattoos had actually been with my ex-husband, and I got a tattoo. I love. I still have. In the course of being there, he wanted wedding ring tattoos. I had never wanted a wedding ring tattoo, but I also knew things weren't going well. So yeah, I'll I'll whatever yeah. I can do to try yeah. to help yeah. make this work. And it was just a really terrible day. We went with a group of friends. Friends, you know, they will tell you how terrible that day was. But yeah, it was really just a very dysfunctional scenario now as I look back. And in it's, you know, Did you get forward, wedding
1: tattoos? We, we ring did. Tattoos? It is gone. It is gone. Okay. has
0: been taken care of, which is a process. Kind yeah, of like healing. It takes a long time on your finger. Mm-hmm. But yes, we got wedding ring tattoos. We were separated probably within six to nine months after that. So it was it was not great not yeah. a great memory yeah. um and then we fast forward like 4 years later and my oldest son is turning 18 and i'm at a different tattoo studio with him and his friends and my kids and one of you know my mom friends and we're all standing around and we're laughing and we're joking and and it was in the middle of that moment i just realized like this is it's a new, new. memory mm. yeah and it's so surrounded with love and laughter and just people who really have invested in one another and are intentional with their community, that I was like, this is what she's talking about when she says a new memory. I can reclaim old memories um, in new ways that help make them something that bring me life and joy, give me joy. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things
2: that I have struggled with in transitions is like reconciling kind of Mm -hmm. the past. And like you're talking about even some of like good things happen Mm -hmm. in bad seasons too. Yes. And I think I always want to like throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, (laughs) that was all bad. And something my therapist has had to help me work on is like remembering the good things and see the growth in the hard seasons. Yeah. And I just, yeah, curious what that process has been like for you or how you hold the sort of dichotomy of the good and the bad together.
0: I still struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really hard thing for me as well. I don't know if it's because I'm such a feeler and I feel so torn in both directions, but I try to be super intentional. I am a person of faith, so I try to be super intentional when there's something I want to give thanks to God on. I give mm-hmm. thanks to God on that, yeah. even in the midst of the bad. Mm-hmm. I just got out of a dating relationship that had lasted about 15 months, and I was mm-hmm. heartbroken when it ended. And I also realized that I'm a really good partner yeah. um, and that I love people really well, and I don't think that's going to be the end of my you know, dating life or my life as a partner. And I was also sad that yeah. that relationship ended. So I think for me— In the midst of that, I have to be super clear on what I'm feeling to make sure I'm pulling the good Mm. out and not just sitting in the bad. I tend to be glass half full anyway. yeah. So I have to almost be more intentional to be like, yeah, that really hurt and I'm sad about it. And then when that happens, I always feel like, I mean, no one likes to feel pain or be sad. right? So I'm trying to dig out of it with the good. So I try to be just super intentional to name both, recognize both. And make myself have to feel the bad when I need to feel it. And Mm -hmm. also recognize the good and who the giver of good is.
1: During the intro of this episode, I mentioned Bruce Feller. And he is an author who wrote an incredible book called Life is in the Transitions. Through a multi-year study, he uncovered that the average person goes through one transition every 12 to 18 months. So, if you're not currently walking through transition, you're either about to or have just been recently. And if you're not today, someone you love most likely is. As we discussed Brandy's transition, she shared how she now gets to use her story to help others. And we wanted all of her advice for supporting the people in our lives as they walk through transition.
2: A few years ago, I called you Mm because I had a close friend that was just in the beginning process of Mm -hmm. her marriage falling apart. And I'm like, how do I do this well with her? Like, what is advice that you'd give me on, like, how to be a good, supportive friend in the midst of this? And you gave me the best advice that I think about all the time now. In all sorts of scenarios, you said, like, help affirm her trusting her own tuition. Mm. Yes, yeah. And and I was like, that's, I would have totally not done that naturally. (laughs) So it was like so helpful to have that sort of in my mind all the time of instead of when she would ask for advice. Yes. Even I would say like, what do you think? Yeah, You really know yourself and your girls so well. Like you've got this, you know? Yes. And so I just am grateful. What is other kind of, advice that you'd give for people that are walking alongside people who are experiencing transition? That's yeah, a good
0: question, I, I think um, grief often comes with transition. And probably one of the best gifts I was given is the time I needed to process my grief I think sometimes when we see our friends grieving and we love them, yeah. we just want to hurry them out of it because it's hard to see them hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And my best friend, her name is Lori and she lives in Vegas and she was so good about giving me the space and the time I needed to grieve without mm-hmm. trying to rush me out of it. So that was and she kept showing up and she never got tired of listening to the questions I had yeah. and and she would help me see the positive, but she also just gave me time to do that. I think the other thing that was super helpful is I developed this group of mom friends. All of our kids played, our sons played football together. And one of the things they did for me is I had gone from sitting with a bunch of, you know, family members at football games to now being by myself because my family is not local. And it was really great that they kind of started loving on me and reaching out and they would give me options. So instead of just saying, what do you need? Or let me know if you need something, because when somebody is walking through drama or tragedy, they don't know what they need. And if I tell you, you probably can't give it to me. They would give me options. So a text stream (laughs) would start that morning of, hey, tonight's an away game. Do you want us to pick you up and we can ride together? Do you want to meet at the tailgate or do you want us to save you a seat in the stands? And it empowered me to make a choice and to make a choice based on what I was most comfortable with. So I think when we're dealing with somebody to give them options of, hey, I'd love to feed you. I can take you out to a restaurant. I can bring dinner to your house, leave it on your porch. Mm. I can come inside and cook for you if you want to talk and give those options where they get to make a decision and a
1: choice, which helps them feel like they have control somewhere when life is falling apart. So often I want to show up for people and I'm not exactly sure how to do it. I don't want to do the wrong thing. And Mm -hmm. so I like the idea of giving you options of like, I can't do the wrong thing because I am asking you what you want. You know? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I remember one time you had a friend who was sick or something and you said, what do you want? And they told you very specifically what they wanted you to make.
2: When my friend Kate had COVID, she told me, like, she sent me a recipe for yes. the soup she wanted me to make for <laughs> I was like, I need to get better at this. I am terrible at, like, naming what I need. I was like, that's okay, awesome. I can figure yeah. it out.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. great. No, I should think of that. <laughs> it's it very so impressive.
2: Funny. Another thing that I was curious about is, I think a lot of times when we experience transition, mm-hmm. like, the people in our lives are also experiencing transition Mm -hmm. kind of maybe because it's the same thing that happened or sometimes they're experiencing transition of their own. Like how any advice on like navigating being in your own process Mm -hmm. and doing the healing and the personal growth work that you need to sort of like get through Yeah, and
1: allowing
2: other people to kind of be in their process. Yes.
1: I imagine you had a lot of that with leading a church and people were grieving this person that you were talking about. Everyone loved. Yes. Simultaneously, you're grieving it. So I'm interested to hear. Well, no, and
0: that's such a great question. And I had a terrible time with that initially because Mm -hmm. what I knew about my situation is a lot of people had been hurt Mm -hmm. in that scenario. A lot of people had been hurt in a lot of different ways. So not Mm -hmm. just by the resignation, but stuff from the past that had caused a ton of hurt that was just starting to surface after the resignation. And because of the way it impacted me, I knew those people were never going to receive an apology. Yeah. And I remember being at drinks with some friends and I went to leave that evening and one of them just stopped me and started confessing a relationship that she had been part of, you know, with my ex-husband. And and it so caught me off guard. Mm, and yeah. instead of thinking about how I could handle that and what I needed, I immediately went to what she needed. And I mm. listened to her and over and over told her how sorry I was. And her husband was there, and I apologized to him because I knew they would never hear the apology mm. from the person it needed to come from. So I I just went Took into, mm. this is how someone needs to be cared for when they have been hurt the way these people have been hurt. And I left that situation. knew it was very heavy, but also I'm like, I can manage this. I've, yeah, I'm doing so well. And mm. then three days later, I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. And you know, I went to my therapist that week, and she said, At what point are you going to stop taking care of everyone else and just take care of yourself? Mm. So like, good. at what point are you yeah. going to say, "Don't tell me anything else"? I probably know what you're going yeah. to say. And walk away from a scenario like that. And and that was pivotal for me. I mean, man, my depression spiraled and I couldn't get out of bed three days yeah. later. It was bad. Mm. Um, but it also made me more accountable to, I'm the one who put myself in this spot because I didn't take care of myself. Yeah. And I had to really separate from that. And I'm very clear now on, because people want to send me stuff they see or... You know, screenshot things on Instagram and social media and send it to me. And I'm like, oh, I I have them blocked for a reason or I don't see their stuff on purpose. Yeah. Because I think people think they're helping when they're not. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a really yeah. hard place to be in. And you have to take care of yourself, yourself and first. not feel responsible for other people's healing.
2: It's kind of like the oxygen mask on the plane. Yes, you know? put it put on yourself, yourself first.
1: first and then take care of others. On the same side of that, I wonder what it looked like for you— as a mom transitioning and, mm-hmm. you know, being there for your boys and walking through that, like what did—you're not responsible for other people, but you are responsible for these boys to help them transition, and what did that look like for you? How did you find that balance and maybe even invite other people in yes, to help with that, help shepherd them? Yeah. I think one of the things I
0: realized I did now that I didn't have language for then is I taught— in the way that I processed that and leaned into my own healing, I was teaching my boys how to manage loss and not to just avoid loss. Mm,
1: that's good. Um, And
0: I think that's so important for kids mm. to realize. Actually, Bill Loki said at OnSite, when I was there, your child's resilience is directly impacted by the parent's ability to own their story, understand their story, and communicate their story. Mm. That sounds like a lot. However, for me, when I realized like me taking care of me directly impacts my kids, yeah, just by taking care of myself, that was like permission to yeah. continue to dig in and do the work I knew I needed to do. Yeah. So, you know, my kids would tell you right after it happened, our nest got really tight yeah. and also became very honest. When we moved into that house, it became, I declared it, this is a house of truth. And, You know, if you tell the truth, we can figure it out. We've all lived in lies for way too long. We don't do that anymore. That is not Mm. the life we live. And honestly, that has been a really great value for us. I have learned things I wish I didn't know. (laughs) And when I say like, mom doesn't need to know that, they're like, house of truth. And I'm like, (laughs) when your culture gets turned around on you, it's a little tough. But I did. I made our nest super tight to protect Mm -hmm. them and said, we we live an honest life. now. And we all needed that layer of protection to bond us together and heal and always was super open about myself doing therapy, about what I was learning, introducing language that had not been used before. But I really think just the fact that I gave so much time and attention to my emotional health... yeah. And my oldest son at times has said, like, I don't need mom to answer this. I want Coach Brandy Wilson to answer this, (laughs) which is funny. And he allows me to, you know, separate a little bit. But I think even in him using that language, it's Mm -hmm. just like, okay, I know she's done her work. And she'll be able to give an answer for this that maybe I wouldn't get to on my own. But, yeah, I think those open, honest conversations are Mm -hmm. huge. And we talked about everything. Like, hey, let's talk about when friends come over. If you have all these friends over and you're not at home, can they sleep in your bedroom? Like, We laid boundaries for Mm -hmm. everything in order to know that you can take care of yourself. You can set healthy boundaries. Your space is your space, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was was an interesting time. And I would not go back for anything. It's actually, I was speaking a couple years ago at a conference. And I knew in this transition that when it came to the four of us, I call us us four, that I wanted us to be able to redefine family like nothing was missing. That's Mm -hmm. how I was going to know that we were doing great and that we were healing from what had happened. And I was at a conference speaking, and my oldest son, who was in college at the time, he asked if he could watch. So I sent him the link. and, And I'm telling a story about the four of us being at the beach, and we're sitting around a campfire. And I just had this moment where I'm like, I think we did it, like, we have redefined our family, and nothing is missing. Yeah, And, and it's because we show up, and, and we fight, and we repair, yeah. and you know, we make milkshakes, yeah. and we watch Bachelor together, and we have hard conversations, and we have honesty in our home. So I just had this overwhelming moment where like, I didn't want this to be part of my story. I didn't want this to be part of my kid's story, and I wouldn't go back. And change our lives for anything. Yeah. And when I went to the green room afterwards, he had sent me some text messages. And it was super cute. He was like, that joke was funny. They were laughing. And the audience, Mm. they're loving you. It's so good. And then I got to the last two text messages. And he said, I couldn't agree more. Mm. I wouldn't change our lives for anything. And there was that moment of like, "Okay, we... And it, yeah. I'm going to be honest. It's not me doing it. It's the four of us putting in no, that work together that. that helped redefine our family where nothing was missing.
1: Yeah. What I kept taking away from your book, reading it, was just this idea of like trading good for great, or not yeah. even good, yeah. but what you believed was good. Like yeah. this is this is a known quantity. This is what we're doing. I'm fighting for this and almost fighting tooth and nail for something that you couldn't have expected on the other side. Yeah. Um, and just hearing you say like I wouldn't change it mm-hmm. is really beautiful. And so. Um how do you help people as a coach as yes. someone who's walked through this? kind of open their eyes to what I can't imagine, but what could actually be great. Am I willing to risk what I know yes. for something more and like and take the steps to build into that? Yeah. That's such a
0: great question because I feel like so often we cling to what we know because mm-hmm. it's familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we keep trying to breathe life into what is dead. Yes. Rather than embracing the new that God is offering us. And I think When it comes to people working through that major transition, we can often paralyze ourselves because we start jumping ahead and we think like, I don't know what life is going to look like in six years. And how will I afford to send two kids to college at the same time? And where are we going to live in six months? So to really break it down to like, honestly, you're just trying to figure out what is your next best step. Mm-hmm. And to be able to look at that and ask reflective questions and teach people how to get curious about themselves, I love—earlier you said, I'm curious. I'm like, that has been one of my favorite qualities I've embraced mm-hmm in the last couple of years is curiosity about self and curiosity about others. So just asking questions that allow them to dig in and be reflective and help them figure out what is their next Mm. best step because that's when they feel empowered
1: and they want to take that step toward healing. Brandy mentioned earlier in the episode that the Living Center program had been really impactful for her in the midst of this huge life change and the process of rediscovering herself as she was starting over. People often seek out our programs in the midst of transition, and we often hear, how do I know if it's the right time? So we asked Brandy this question. When did she know it was the right time to attend OnSite? No, I'm glad you asked that because initially
0: I thought I was going to go during the separation. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to do whatever I could to fit. I mean, I got yeah. a on tattoo I didn't want trying to fix. So like I was yeah. willing to do whatever. And it didn't work out just because I knew I couldn't leave my kids for seven days without contact when mm-hmm. things were that traumatic. So for me, I had been divorced almost a year before I went to on-site. And I was, it was perfect timing because at that point, I had a lot of the questions answered as far as where are we going to live? What am I going to do, you know, for my income? What does it look like for the kids and I as far as custodial time? Yeah. That kind of stuff. And- Mainly because at that point, I went to try to get Brandy healthier rather than to save my marriage. Yeah. Mm. I think if I had gone during my separation, it, the intention would have been, what can I do to save my marriage rather than what does Brandy need to do to get healthier? Yeah. Um, so when I went post-divorce, it was actually really great timing for me because I was just thinking about myself um, yeah. and what are the steps I need to take in order to be healthier And all of my relationships, you know, with my kids, with my parents, with the people I work with, friendships, it was more about me rather than fixing me for someone else.
2: I love that. And I think that is so true of so many people. It's like they want to go to fix themselves, Mm -hmm. to make a marriage work or make a job work or, you know, and like, it's best to go when you're willing to really look at it all. and Mm
0: -hmm. Totally changed my perspective.
1: And yeah. what I found doing the program, like I think for a long time I wanted to get healthy for my partner. I wanted to get healthy for my future kids. I wanted to get healthy for this, that, that, that. But when I went and did the work for myself, I was able to like own that. And then the result was the same. I was healthier for them. I did yes. show up differently. I was able to do all the things I wanted to do and to be the best version of myself. But by starting and being the best version of myself, I could be that for other people. Yes, Um And totally it was agree. not— selfish it was selfless you yes know? and exactly. a weird counterintuitive way
2: that's so good brandy thank you so much oh, for oh, being willing gosh, to be on here you, we need it again because there's so much to talk about one of the questions we ask a lot as we kind of wrap up is mm-hmm. like do you have a practice that you do daily or weekly that kind of helps keep you grounded yes. in the present what is yours yes.
0: i journal, journal every day yeah yeah um do you have a
2: prompt or are you, you freestyle
0: free journal, or? What is that you know, I do all of it. I usually start with gratitude. So I try to list three to five things, um, which also kind of feels like I'm catching memories of my family mm-hmm. and life at the same time. And then I usually go into stream of conscious writing, what I'm feeling, what I'm trying to process. It often moves into prayer. But yeah, it's just a lot of stream of conscious. I sit in the same place. Every day when I do it, mm. um, it's so funny. I get my son off to school, make my coffee, feed the dogs. And once I pick up my coffee mug, the dogs run and hop on my bed because they know I'm going to go sit in the chair in the corner. Mm. So it's like that space is cozy and comfortable. Mm. I have all my supplies there and a candle. And it's just like, I truly relax. And that's my time. And that's my way to stay grounded and present and what I'm feeling and what life is looking like. Mm. I love it. That's
1: lovely. Well, thank you so much. This has been so lovely. Thank you for having me. Just really grateful for this conversation. Thanks for listening to The Living Center podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.